So welcome to I Don't Know Shit. It's a podcast with the Laugh Factory Network. Uh, my name is Josh Johnson. I don't know shit about running a club. So with me, I have Curtis. Curtis Flagg is the director of operations and the booker for Laugh Factory Chicago. Thank you, Curtis, for coming. Thanks for being on. Uh, what is the thing that no one knows that you do that it bothers you that no one knows that you do? Like you do, you have you have like 67 jobs. Only comics, like comics only see you as a booker. People that call in only see you as a guy that's like the director of operations. But there's so much in between that that you do. So like, what's the thing that no one knows that you do? Like you do payroll and you do, you do all this stuff. Awesome. It's a few things. I mean, it's just, this is, we are a very small staff, so we have a few people that do a lot of things. So, you know, myself, obviously doing all the marketing, I put the shows on the website, do the ticketing templates, you know, the, the e-blast, the guerrilla marketing, you know, whether it's scheduling staff, you know, the comics, um, it's, it's like basically, a, you know, a, run this club. Yeah. Say. Um, but, you know, we have, you know, Bill, who handles our media, um, all of our digital content now. Um, Brian handles it. He's like our HR. Um, and then I'm more of a, on the marketing uh, side of running the club. So, you know, it's kind of getting the word out that we exist. For sure. Um, and then obviously, you know, the booking, um, scouting, you know, do the open mic. I'm always evaluating talent. I have notes on every open micer that stepped on stage at our club. Um, I have them kind of in a showcase list, um, a database, all of the comics according to like how I think they're growing um, or regressing. So that is a real sure. Problem. Yeah, yeah. Just <laughs> <You know? laughs> wow, Josh has really been slipping. Awesome. That I appreciate it. <laughs> you know, I think it's just a lot of the, the behind the scenes work. Oh, for sure. Um, and then, you know, above that is just, you know, kind of pumping you guys up as, you know, some of the best comics in the country, you know, whether it be to talent agencies or anyone who calls and asks, like, who do you like, you know, or, you know, if it's a, a comedy festival that's looking for talent, um, you know, I kind of try to, you know, stay very unbiased and, you know, fair when I'm giving out, you know, recommendations. To Absolutely. It's a multitude of things. You know, I love what I do. Um, I feel like I was built for this now that I'm in the capacity. When I first of all, I was like, oh, my God, I'm running like a comedy club. I'm running the Laugh Factory, not even just a uh, comedy club. Yeah. The Laugh Factory is one of the, you know, it's the premier comedy club in the world, um, if you ask me. So, um, you know, with great responsibility or great, you know. Yeah, because when we met, man, like, I, um, when we met, I wasn't even passed yet, and... You you weren't like general manager yet. You what, what was the job you were doing right before this? I started doing marketing actually. Oh okay. I was a social media guy. The dude running around taking pictures of everybody, tweeting, putting it on Facebook, um, and then I kind of worked my way up. I mean, I've done everything from box office to hosting, bartending. Mm -hmm. I cleaned the club for a while. Um, was the janitor in the morning. Oh yeah. Um, and then I started working in office a little bit more with. Um, Maggie Sarton, who was a previous GM, and then Emily Keck, um, took over after her. Um, 
started to do more work in the marketing aspect, and I started doing night managing, you know, running the staff itself. Um, and then, you know, once I wore all those hats, um, Emily got engaged, and, you know, she moved away, and I kind of just, like, stepped up. <laughs> oh, for sure, man. Yeah. The position. Yeah. Like I said, at first, I was, you know, super nervous. I'm still working. I mean, it's, it's always a work in progress. I've Absolutely. Cool, cool. And then do you have do you have a thing like so this 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 job essentially is like more than even full time because you you're always here. You're always here when I'm here and then you're you're here when I'm not here obviously because I'm not here every night. But do you ever do you ever see yourself um moving even further in a in a capacity or do you like do you like what you're finding right now as being like this director of operations and doing all of these different jobs wearing all these different hats is that something that you find like exhilarating or exhausting i'm sure you find it both but like is it i definitely i mean i find it both i think if i'm looking long term i would like to be here i feel like like i said this club has there's so much potential i mean there's some things that are in the workings now that are really going to just like change the game in Chicago for comedy. Um, that's going to be coming from this club. Um, there's some expansions. There's some, you know, media, you know, that's going to happen that, you know, I want to be here for. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's something that not only do I want to launch, but I want to maintain and, and see that through and watch it grow. Um, and then obviously watch the comics grow uh, through that. So I plan to be here until they take it away from me. Yeah, know, absolutely. Cold, right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And then... Yeah, making making all those things, I, I, it's important to treat. And I'm sure you see this 
more than anybody else that it's important to treat, even when you have people backing you, it's important to treat projects and your work like an independent effort at all times. Cause I, I know a lot of people do that where they either get a show and, and, you know, at a club or they get an agent or a manager and think that the work is done. And it's like, no, you still have to act like none of those things exist. Like no one's going to come if you don't do anything, you know? And so, um, you mentioned, you mentioned, watching talent and developing talent what are i guess it's a two-part question but what are some of the ways that you try to work towards developing talent i know i always ask you for notes on my sets and stuff but whenever you are going because that, that's a very rare thing it's like laugh factory does it and not many other places do it where that you'll go to an open mic a lot of places only want to have anything to do with you when you're already booking the biggest showcases in chicago like the biggest independent shows in chicago but you actually go to like mics once in a while and 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 watch people or you know you actually watch people at this mic um and so when you when you are when you are looking like for any listener that is a comic that's trying to like that knows you're on right now and is trying to like figure out a way to get in like what are the things i mean you know we talk a lot about whenever it's just you and I, we talk a lot uh, about like creativity or, or like having places to go with a bit or something like that. But what, what are some of the things you look for when you do consider yourself as developing someone who you don't see as ready, but you definitely see as a regular one day or someone who you think needs to go further and in what ways do you think that that works? Yeah, that's a, that's a lot of questions actually. Yeah. Yeah. No, I asked you like seven questions. <laughs> You want to know, you know, what we're thinking um, as far as, you know, evaluating, you know, your set, seeing where you're going with bids. Um, I think just giving those notes initially is, is the first step that I do. So, you know, if I'm at an open mic, especially here, and I just did it a couple times yesterday, there were some comments I had, um, some tags that I really liked that I, that I knew were new. You know, they're regulars at our open mic, so, you know, I'm, I'm watching them develop, you know, this three minutes or whatever particular bit that they're doing. Um, and, you know, what I say isn't law, obviously, I'm not like the god of comedy, but, you know, I hear things and it hits my ear different. I'm like, oh, that tag worked better than this one, or, you know, I see you're trying a new tag to it, but I really like the old tag, or, you know, whether it's a word, I know with you, I was like, hey, if you just took this one word out. Oh, yeah, yeah. Hear differently. Um, and then it's just really watching our crowd react. I see the way they're reacting to your set last month, you know, and you do it again this month. And although it's a different crowd, you know, I'm, I'm listening to the, the way you're saying it, to your confidence level and how you're saying it. Um, because I'm on the outside looking in, I feel like I can give you maybe just a little dab of, you know, like motivation to, you know, maybe change something or to continue doing what you're doing um, and just kind of really commit to it. Um, a lot of times you see the comic who may be doing some of the same material, you know, they've been doing for years. For sure. And you can tell. <laughs> yeah, know, yeah. Just, they're saying it, you know, they're so used to saying, you know, verbatim, you know, that they kind of maybe even lost a little bit of the, their, you know, passion for that particular bit. And you hear it sometimes, like I talk to comics, like, yeah, you know, I've been doing it so long, I just, I just didn't really, I'm not in love with it anymore. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, you kind of want to reestablish that love, you know, you want to kind of be like, hey, I really like that bit. Like, I can see you're kind of getting tired of it, but you have to take into consideration you're not really seeing the same crowds over and over again. So, like, you may be beating it dead in your mind, but it's fresh to a lot of people. You go to shows here, and, you know, the host will say, how many people are here for the first time? 
And I mean, it's a roaring applause. And it's like, hey, who's back? And we have like 20% of the people who've been back. And yeah. not only have they been back again, but you may not even have been on that show. So, yeah. you know, some of the stuff that you've been doing, and, you know, some people are coming out for the first time to a comedy show. So, you know, Josh Johnson is new to them. Mm-hmm. Everything you have to say, they're going to be hearing for the first time. So you really want to commit every single time you're on stage to each of your bits, no matter how old or new they are. Um, and I think sometimes, especially earlier on, I would see comics do bits here. And then I would go see them at an outside showcase, which you were saying a little earlier. I'd try to go out and see them in different environments because it's interesting how people are different when they're not at, a, like, a club showcase and they're at a bar showcase or they're at a different outside producer show. Maybe it's an all, you know, kind of showcase, and they, they have different material. And, you know, sometimes I'm like, why aren't you doing that here? And they're like, nah, you know, I don't really think this is, you know, like, club-type material. Yeah, and yeah. You would be surprised how much of that will work here. Oh, for sure. He's a comic, Ian Abramson. I know a lot of comics, you know, are familiar with him. Uh, but for the average listener, go check him out. He's a very unique comic. Um, he's not your traditional stand-up comedian, um, but he's funny as hell. And when he was passed here, he passed, he was passed here right before he moved to L.A., which I love, you know, because it got it gave him a chance to really kind of, like, take off with that, you know. like mm-hmm. the, the momentum was already building, and then he kind of, like, sealed it off, you know, with really being passed at all the clubs, you know, major clubs here in Chicago, taking that out to L.A., but I remember when he was in the showcase process, Jamie, Jamie Masada, who's the owner of Laugh Factory, who, you know, all of our showcasers will, will be in front of him, he sees everyone, you know, who ends up becoming a paid regular here, um, you know, he's been in the comedy business 35 years, he's seen everything, mm-hmm. and that was one comic that I would watch him, <laughs> like, look at him, and he just kind of like, he didn't get it, but he got it, he was like, yeah. I don't get this comedy really, but I know it's funny, mm-hmm. and I know people like it, so <clears throat> he gave him a chance, and Ian was one of the guys that initially I was like, I don't, I, I don't know how it's going to really register in front of, you know, one of our paid audience, you know, paid crowds, you know, but then... You know, he gets on stage and it's just, it's like watching a magician work, you know, yeah, yeah. his, you know, unique style of just like, you know, he does the same bit, like, or he kind of changes it up and he runs off stage and comes back on, um, you know, <laughs> he writes Pluto on his belly. Yeah, know, yeah. He does these different things, um, you know, and, and it's interesting to see something like that that you think would work in a more alternative scene or, you know, in a different style of showcase, um, but it translates very well here. And so do you think what so what's your what's your sort of take on you you said that sometimes you're watching people and do you watch how the crowd reacts to them one month to the next month or or if they're getting more complex or creative with their bits whereas they might be falling back to some like sort of regular hokey um predictable humor or something like that so with with that, whenever someone is, in your opinion, regressing, I know, I know, you know, a lot of comics are so neurotic and they're so worried about coming off as, you know, like like having a bad set and that being the end of the world. Is it in your eyes, or what? I mean, what do you really see as something where you would almost stop booking someone, you know? And and this is aside from like attitude or anything. Let's say it's a great guy that you really like, but like, you know. I mean, I'm essentially asking you, what? When will you stop booking me? Like, what? What's the thing that that I'm gonna do? <laughs> when when you're just bombing consistently. I mean, yeah. you know, bombing is subjective as well. You know, um, crowds react in a different way to different styles of comedy. You can be like a shock comedian, and you can be a great comedian at kind of what you do, and the reaction that you that you're looking to get may not be like laughs, which you think would be the standard reaction. Oh yeah, for sure. But 
ways to react to this. I think you know when you've just been bombing consistently and when mm-hmm. you've been regressing in your, in, you know, in your stand-up, or if you're just wrestling in the Lord. So it's something that you may not want to really admit. Oh, <laughs> you know, for sure. It's something internally that you know. Everybody sees it. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody knows. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They know, you know, when you walk off stage, you, nobody's clapping, you know, or, you know, you're, yeah. you are delivering, you know, certain bits to dead silence. Um, I don't think it, I've, I've never just stopped altogether booking, but there have been people who were booked regularly, and I haven't been booked in a long time, yeah. But that doesn't mean you're just like cast away. I'm still watching you. Like <clears throat> there's you know, there's been a couple of comics that I've stopped booking regularly, but I see when they're on other showcases and I go check them out. Yeah. Or yeah. I'll book them and I'm like, let me see where you're at now. Mm-hmm. Let me see what you're doing, let me see, you know, some of the material that you may be working on, let me see how you're handling your old material. Um and that's all taken into consideration. Uh, but I don't think I, I don't never just like stop outright booking someone um, without still kind of checking up on them and see. You know, oh, I understand. Because this is a big city for comedy. There's so many comics out there. And one thing that always kind of used to irk me is when I would get that, you know, like, hey, why am I not getting booked? I used to be booked all the time, or like I was told I would be booked, you know, like X amount of like sets a week. And it's like, man, look at this city. Like, look yeah. at the competition. Like, don't slip up. Like, don't, yeah, don't slip up. Trust me, there's like 80 to 100 comics that would love to take your stage time. Yeah. That would love to have that extra five minutes or a five, or five minutes in general. Yeah. Just, you know, like put me up on a guest spot or, you know, let me get that feature. And then there's also the the simple matter of math, you know, it's uh, sometimes it truly, I mean, that's one of the things that I had to take into account too, whenever I really was starting to get it, I was like, okay, I know how to write a joke. I know what will come off this way when I say it in, in this uh, different way. And I know how to be accepted uh, quicker than if I come up with my most controversial joke immediately, you know. So as I, as that was happening, and I was in my opinion and in the opinion of other people, other people were telling me too that I was getting better. I had to take a step back and sort of do that math where you look at the clubs in Chicago and then you look at the comics in Chicago and we don't necessarily have the problem New York does where it's just completely oversaturated. Every bar show has, you know, a couple people except for the great outstanding ones. Every bar show has a couple people. The clubs have a handful of people, you know, like we're, we're not as bad as New York, but we are getting to this point of, a lot, like a lot. It's like you said, it's a lot. And there are 80 to 100 people willing to take your spot. That being said, it's not necessarily a competition because you can't be everywhere all the time, you know? So um, I just had to take a step back too and and think about the fact that it's like, okay, I, ju- I just did a show two days ago. Of course, I'm not going to do the weekend this week, you know? like like, And it's one of those things that I try to keep in mind sometimes, especially when you are also, do- that leads to my other question, when you are doing other things. Like, I've been doing a lot of festivals this year, so I've been out of town at least once every month for the most part, if not twice a month. Do you find that whenever you haven't been able to book someone for a while that that is a deterrent for booking them more or do you think that you book people more once you're they're not around as much um no there there really is no exact science to it i will, I will say you know if you know a guy's out traveling you know you're hitting the road and they're one that are regular and they're good i actually can't 
wait till they come back. Mm-hmm. You know, it's you know, it's a lot of companies they do cruises, they you know, they're out just making money on the road, you know, and then they come back, you know, it's you know, you you're working. You know, it's not like you've been at home just not going up. Yeah. You know, you've been yeah. hustling and doing what you have to do. So if anything you're coming back probably stronger than ever. Sure. You're coming back a little bit more seasoned by working different rooms. Um so yeah, that's never a deterrent. Um, mm-hmm. I always encourage it, you know, to be able to get out there and work. And then for booking, you know, if you're gone, it just opens up a spot for somebody else. Yeah. And you know, they grow. Like you said, it's mad. I have four features and a host for a guest up every now and again. You're looking at five comics that I could put on any particular show. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of times when I'm booking, like I I look at the fails list and I I probably book a week eight or nine times. Mm-hmm. Like, I just did it last night. Like, I just booked the week after next. And I'm just like, okay, this this looks good. We'll see who pops up, who says they may be available. We'll look, who, I'll look to see if anybody dropped off the availability list. You mm-hmm. know? So I'll book, I'll, I'll book, like, a show probably, like, six or seven times until I feel it's right. You know, I'll take one out, put one in. Yeah. I'll put one in. You know, and there may be somebody coming in from out of town. I'm like, okay. You know, I'll never say who gets bumped or who, you know, but... You know, yeah, no, happens. that's totally understandable. You know, but the thing is, like, okay, you didn't get on this week, you know, next week. Mm-hmm. You know, next week, there's going to be a time for you. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's not, nothing's guaranteed, you know. Mm-hmm. I really hate when people feel that way, um, but that's also still a good thing, because that confidence is what you need. Yeah. You take that confidence and you, you go on stage with that confidence and you, you crush. Mm-hmm. Should crush. So um, having that is healthy, but you know, at the same time, you know, these spots aren't promised um, unless we have a headliner deal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we're contractually obligated to put you on stage. Um, but other than that, yeah, if I have five comics per show, yeah. I can fit on, and a lot of times I have like four shows, you know, where I can do it. Um, and that's another thing I, I book a lot of shows, you know, and mm-hmm. we have some that are outside produced that the outside producer books and you know i look over all of those bookings you know to make sure it's a good show mm-hmm. usually after a while i give them the caveat of just being able to you know send me in the you know the lineup like hey check this out if you like it 99.9 percent of the time it's cool yeah um, so yeah that kind of takes some of the days off of me you know the weekends are pretty much mine uh to book you know like i said unless it's a headliner but that's a limited amount of spots and a lot of mm-hmm. times that one so and so is it also when you think about a booker from a comic perspective, you just think of whether or not someone likes you or whether or not they're willing to put you on. So it's a very black and white sort of viewpoint that, that comics have. But do you find, too, that sometimes you like someone a lot, but you go to because it seems like you go to a lot of trouble because, as you know, as someone who wants one of those spots and is especially when I first start, I remember when you gave me my first guest spot after I got passed. And then the next week I got a feature spot and I was just so excited because I was like, oh my God, like it, cause that, cause getting past is amazing. But then when you go from guests to start featuring, it's like, that's even, so the fact that it happened quickly, I was just so excited about. And so I was watching a lot of the lineups and I still watch the lineups, you know, even on the weeks that I'm out of town. And it seems like you go to a lot of trouble to curate these shows. So do you find that you sometimes like someone a lot, but they just don't fit into the into the mold of the show you're trying to create or is it uh you throw them up no matter what because they're good you like them and they can just deal you know the audience can just deal with it or like or what was it that you're going for when you put a show together 
I said before, it's not, it's not an exact science, but I will say that I try to keep the shows diverse. Doesn't mean it's like an affirmative action. It's got to be one black comic, it's got to be one black comic, it's got to be a female, it's got to be this. But when I'm booking, I'm like, okay, best of the best. I'm looking at who's available this Friday. Mm-hmm. List. Okay, out of these people, who do I like as a host? Because what's unique here is it's not like Zanies or, you know, up where it's like a headliner show where it's a host feature headliner, you know? So mm-hmm. you have like a, a, your host list, you know, you have your, there's a lot of comics who are great hosts. Mm-hmm. Some like to host, some don't like to host. Um, and I'm finding that out more as I'm maturing in the booking process. But, you know, I'll, I'll take that list of the best of the best. Out of that list, who do I like as a host for that show? Or who will fit as a host of that show? Mm-hmm. A host of like a Thursday 8 o'clock show may not be the same person that I booked for the nasty show, Saturday 10 o'clock. Yeah. So there's got to be a certain style, you know, the material that you have uh, will cater towards a certain show. And speaking specifically for like the nasty show. So I'm not going to put an Uber Queen comic on a nasty show. So there is a certain type of comic that, that finds itself filled mm-hmm. that particular show. Um, but for a traditional stand-up show, um, like I said, I'd, I'd like to have, you know, women represented, um, whether that's an all-female showcase. Like, sometimes I'll, I'll you know, like, oh, wow, there's, like, all females. A lot of times there's all males. Um, it's just the way it works. It's funny mm-hmm. sometimes because you look at a schedule, I'll, you know, you know how you get your confirmation. You get it on a Monday, you know, hey, and this, you know, a couple weeks out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I have that particular lineup set. But as we get closer to the day, people drop out, you know, there's been scheduling, conflicts, whatever the case may be. So sometimes I'll have two women booked for a show or three women booked and, you know, something happens, they drop out, then like, there's a guy that replaces them and then now you have an all-guy showcase. You know, it's not Curtis is only booking, like, oh, all guys. Yeah, yeah. Or, you know, uh, you know, late-night shows, like, only, like, black comics. And it's like you really don't know what happens in yeah. comics now. Mm-hmm. They really do, but, you know, when you're not thinking of it that way. Like, oh, you know, for sure. Comics that aren't booked on the show, show yeah. You know, I didn't, I totally forgot, you know, I'm doing a show can you well, can you put me later? But you don't really know that the other comics have time, you know, constraints, so they have to be in those slots that I booked them for. Mm-hmm. So you know, and it's like, hey, can I get their numbers? If you know, I can switch up with them, whatever the case may be. There's a lot of things that happen from when a, a show is originally booked to like the time the show happens. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like I said, it's no exact science, but there are shows that cater to a certain type of comic. So if you're that comic, then that's the show for you. Um, our traditional stand-up shows, I just try to put the best of the best. Uh, together, um, but then I still want to see how people are. So with you, I can say with you specifically, um, I remember when I gave you that guest spot, mm-hmm. and then the next week, I think it was like a Saturday, it was like a Saturday 8 or something, yeah. like a, a feature, because I want to see what you can do with that time in front of that crowd. You For know, sure. That weekend crowd. And when you get those, you know, I would definitely take advantage because what happens is if you go up, you crush. Like, obviously, that, that bodes well for you. Mm-hmm. But if you go up and you bomb, it's like, okay, like, we'll kind of go back to, we'll build you, you know, build you. Yeah. You do these, you know, you'll do maybe a guest spot. You mm-hmm. know, you know, try to show workout five, see how that feels, and kind of go through that. Because even though you're past here, this comics who are very seasoned, this comics aren't even past here yet or haven't worked their way into, you know, being a paid regular that are, that are best, that can crush, you know, they can do the time. Yeah. Um, but then you just you don't know until they get up there. Mm-hmm. There's also comics that are that that can't do the time that haven't done well on the stage. Yeah. There's comics that have been on last comic standing and 
America's Got Talent and, you know, yeah. TV credits that don't do well in this state. So, it's, you know, the credits you have always help, but at the end of the day, it's like what you say and do on that stage speaks for you. Oh, for sure. Everything that you do before you get up on the Laugh Factory stage matters when you get up on that Laugh Factory stage. Yeah. Bit of notoriety, they know you. They're like, call it, uh, I call it like a comfort clap. It's like because people have seen you on TV before, mm-hmm. they know you, they like you, so yeah, the benefit of the doubt. You may, your material may not even be that strong, but hey, you're likable, mm-hmm. you know, people can relate to you, so you do well. And oh, you know, okay, that's, that all is taken into consideration, you know. Um, sometimes there's comics that can get up, you know, at comedy clubs across the country, you know, that have. The, the, the credits behind them, but they may not be as strong as a you know comic as somebody else. You know, they're getting these spots. So what I just say for those comics that you know want that is you got to work to market and brand yourself. Like you have to be somebody. You know, yeah. At the end of the day, we're a business, just like you will be a business. You know, mm-hmm. you will be a business of yourself. You will be a brand of yourself. If you don't want to be a business, then never accept a check. You know what I mean? Like yeah. at the end of the day, what you're trying to do is to build a career. And to, to supplement yourself, to be able to live and eat, like, it's nice if you have a job that pays well, and then you can just use that to help supplement your comedy, um, but oftentimes that's not the case. Yeah. If you want to quit that job, that day job you have, and pursue comedy full-time, but that takes something, like, you can't just quench, like, yeah, I know I'm funny, so I'll just keep going up and do it. No, you have to build a website, you know, you have to build a social media presence, mm-hmm. you have to try to, try to gain a following, because... You want these people to like you, so you've got to be out there to be liked, you know, yeah. to kind of give a little bit of yourself up um, in order to, you know, attain those goals that you set for yourself, you know, in comedy. Um, and sometimes people are better at marketing themselves than they are actually writing jokes. Yeah. And some people who are better at writing jokes than they are at marketing themselves, you have to find that balance. You have to find out what your strengths are what your weaknesses are and you know obviously build up your strengths but focus on those weaknesses because if you can kind of if you can taper those up and you know patch those up then that just that helps you in the long run absolutely and so one other thing I, I was wondering and this may not even be at Laugh Factory but what's the worst club experience you've ever had like like because i know for someone who is here so much you are at other places and you are like scoping out so maybe it wasn't even a club i mean what what's been the worst like, because I know I have mine, and I want to tell you mine, because I don't think you've heard it, but it's like legend. Um, not because of me, but because who is in it. And then I, ju- I just want to know, though, because you see, as much as I try to do comedy, and as much as you see these comics go out, uh, it's, it's one of the things that people forget, is that a comic may try to do three or four mics a night, two shows a night. I know I've had as many as three shows a night before, uh, and, and maybe even out of town. Like, I, I was in Milwaukee, I was supposed to do three shows in one night there and you know new york is even crazier it's like five shows a night you know stuff like that but for an actual club booker or for a director of operations that is at that club all the time they see so much more comedy than i can even do comedy you know because i can i can write my jokes all day i have the day off today i could write jokes all day i could go out tonight hit three mics i can go out tomorrow hit maybe do a show and hit two mics but you're still watching more comedy than i can even do in that amount of time and so what's what's been the worst experience that you've ever had <laughs> it's, it's funny i would say 
like in one particular instance, uh, it's more of like a combination of a bunch of different things that I've seen. I'm like, oh my god, like this is. If you took a piece from each of these like shows that I you know I went to or mm-hmm. was a part of or whatever the case may be, I would say the worst experience that I had altogether. And I'll put them on blast because I don't really care. I was in Indianapolis, Indiana, and I went to Crackers Comedy Club almost every weekend. Okay. It was between Crackers and Morty's. I kind of like Crackers more. It was downtown, and they accepted my fake ID. And Morty's was a little bit further out, but Crackers was closer to my college. Okay. And so we would go to Crackers all the time. I would drink underage. I mean, at this point, it doesn't even matter anymore. Yeah. Statue of Limitations has run out. You know, we'd sit in the front and get rowdy. But we were I, we were respectful, I would actually say that. Like, I looked back, I was like, damn, was that that heckler? Was that that dude? We really weren't. We we laughed heavy. You know, like, when it was funny, we just, like, went all out. Mm-hmm. We didn't want to get kicked out in the first place because we already were kind of, like, in illegally. Yeah. Plus, I'm a huge comedy fan, so I'm, like, the director, I'm like, hey, shut up. Dude. Like, don't talk. Mm-hmm. They don't need you to talk back to them. So it kind of was, like, the parent of our group. But there was one particular night at Crackers that it was Dustin Diamond. <laughs> Dustin Diamond played Screech was on. I think he was just now getting into comedy. He wasn't good. He was booked because, like I said, he had yeah he credits. Booked, yeah, well, he was Screech, you know. So it was Screech doing comedy. It reminded me kind of when Kramer did had his little deal mm-hmm. in Hollywood because he wasn't a stand-up comic. He was trying to get into it, you mm-hmm. know, but he that they were they're billing it as Kramer. People thought they were gonna come see Kramer, but no, they saw Michael Richards. We came to see Screech, we saw Dustin Diamond. Yeah. So Dustin Diamond gets on stage immediately just out the gate bombs. Like oh, no. gate, he told like two rape jokes that didn't go well. He told one about uh how was like with like with Kelly Kapowski and how like you know, she didn't swallow, and you know, all this, and it, it just, it wasn't funny. Oh, no. So immediately, it was silence, and then he turned on the audience. He was like, what's wrong with y'all? He, ah. he, was, he was drunk, or high, or both, whatever. For sure. He was fucked up nonetheless. <laughs> <laughs> and so he, he just went at it, and he went at the crowd. The crowd, there was a couple guys, uh, there was a couple Latino dudes that were behind me, and they were, they were probably more drunk than we were. And one dude just kept screaming out, fuck it, hey, woo! Like, just during his set. He was <laughs> tired of it, and he'd already kind of made a couple racist jokes towards him. So they were like, they are just going to try to destroy his set. So yeah. you have one guy yelling there, the other guy arguing still with him, even though he had, he had moved on from mm-hmm. the crowd. He was actually still trying to go. He was going back into material. And this guy is still trying to argue a point that he was trying to make like five, ten minutes ago. Oh, so no. one guy's screaming. The other guy's yelling at him. No security. Don't know where the security <laughs> uh-huh. There was just no presence inside the room besides the server, who also didn't say anything to the guy. So his set had already derailed. People started like cheers in. They like started talking in their own mutual groups. Dustin's on stage, like, still trying to, like, do it. It was funny. It was like watching someone who was, like, listening. It's like talking to somebody who had headphones in. You know? mm-hmm. like, oh, for sure. Like, they're still singing the song, you know, that they're listening to with their headphones, but you're trying to have a direct conversation with them. He was completely detached from the crowd. There was no security presence. People started throwing stuff on stage. No. On stage. I'm sitting in the front row. <laughs> like, I'm literally, like, on the stage seats. And I'm just kind of, like, looking up. And I'm just, like, it was the first It was the first time I really thought, like, well, if I ran this club, mm-hmm. this is what I would do. 
because the way they the way it was set up was they had a host at the time. Uh, the guy's name. I, I wish I wish I could give this guy's name so he gets credit because he was a good host. Mm-hmm. He just didn't do enough time. Like I think he may have done five minutes. Yeah, yeah. He didn't like Walter break the ice. Club, you know, then you'd be here. Couple ground rules. Da, 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 da. None of the ground rules involved, um, you know, keeping your table talk to a minimum. None of it involved no flash photography. It was like sit back, relax, have fun, like, which is great to say, but you really have to, because some people have never been to a comedy show before. Yeah, they truly don't know. They've never been to Crackers or any comedy show. They've seen it on TV. Mm-hmm. You know, they've you know they've seen it at you know the stand up special, but they've never been on a live comedy show. So there's a lot of things that are different from a concert because you you think about it like comedy show is so much different than a music concert. You can talk. You can yell, you can throw beer, you know, you can, yeah. you can be a different person at a, at a rock concert. But comedy requires so much, like, listening and focus and, and silence sometimes, mm-hmm. you know. And then we're also pushing drinks, you know. Yeah. So you really need an obedient crowd, but you still want them loose. And that's, I think, a lot of the job of the host. The host gets you in the mood. The host kind of pumps you up, gets you ready to the main event, whether that be, you know, a host of feature comics or a feature comic and a headliner or even just, like, rolling straight in the headliner, which is what they did. Mm-hmm. So he came out was like, hey, guys, sit back, relax, have a good time. You're coming, you know, I'm from Saved by the Bell. The screech, hey, Dustin Diamond. And then he came out and he's like, I ain't fucking Screech. I'm Dustin Diamond. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Head, but then he went into talking about Saved by the Bell. So yeah. Yeah. He was trying to distance himself from being that person, but he but he wasn't. But I also heard after that he wanted to do a bunch of other crazy stuff on stage. But yeah. that was by far the worst experience I've ever had. It was 35 minutes of yelling, booing, this guy saying fucking A-woo every five seconds. No security once again. Oh, no, my gosh. Talk to this guy except for me. And somebody else that was like, dude, chill. Like, uh, right, we get it. You know, like, we're policing the crowd as yeah. a customer. And Dustin Diamond's loving it, but also hating it at the same time. Yeah. He's, he's on stage. He's one of those, I already got your money. But he said, he's like, I don't care what you say. I already got your money. You know, and he's yeah. like, everything against what he should do. Like, he didn't try to win us back. He didn't. It's like know, that Bill Burr thing where he was like, uh, he all those people were talking during his taping one time. He was like, "That's like table three telling table sixty four to shut the hell up. Like, just <laughs> calm down, everybody. You know, that's crazy, man. That that's one. and then there's just been small different instances where there's like, oh, you know, it, it really always deals with the the clientele just not being able to like understand comedy etiquette, comedy club etiquette. Sure. You know, because sometimes feedback is good talking with a member of the audience it helps it's called crowd work but usually you solicit that crowd work sometimes it comes up to you sometimes you go to a bachelor party it's like woo and it's like oh well, what are you doing over here and that leads to some comedy mm-hmm. although it wasn't planned and you're like okay well since you made yourself known let me go ahead and dress you yeah crush you down real quick yeah on, let me get back to my bits but um, yeah, it, it usually always starts there, but that's also up to the comic. You know, like you have to learn to be able to handle that. Mm-hmm. Uh, some are better than others. Um, sometimes you see a comic you get up and you're like, oh, you're not used to being heckled at all. Yeah, and no one should talk to you ever. For it. Yeah. You know, like they almost are hoping somebody. Yeah. You know, 
on stage. So that was probably I would say. Crackers Comedy Club, Indianapolis, Indiana. I'll shout you out. I still love you. That was just one experience that I had. That was one of the places that really started to like garner my interest for more comedy. I was always into comedy. I always mm-hmm. loved comedy, but it was like right at my fingertips at that point in time, so I could go as often as I wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that was, it was. It was there was okay, so you I I'm not I'm not gonna say his name because he still lives here. Uh, he's not on your radar. I can I can promise you that right now. Uh, but he's one of these dudes that's been doing it for a long, long time and just not really going anywhere with it. And he this is like early two thousands, so like I don't know where we would stand in the full realm of like golden age of comedy, bust, boom, all that stuff like that. But all I'm saying is that this dude was less talented than he is now back then and still managed to get a feature spot at this club out of town. I don't know I don't know where the club was. All I know is he had to drive like three hours. So I guess I guess you could just do some math or something with that. But basically he was living in Chicago at the time. He did not <laughs> he didn't do traditional stand up. He did a vaudeville act that was silent to music that he would just do at open mics and then I guess sometimes at clubs whenever he got booked. This dude, he, uh, he's a little insane. So he, he for his new bit that he wanted to do, his new closer, he wanted to revive a dead animal on stage. <laughs> so this was, this was his plan, right? So he wanted to just kind of like CPR a dead animal back to life and it would end the show with him like in a cutesy America's Got Talent sort of way. And... Instead of just going to a magic shop and buying like a stuffed raccoon that has some movable parts, this crazy dude drove around for a few hours trying to find roadkill. So he found like a dead raccoon. He picked it up, put it in an icebox and left for the gig. He put an ice box that he forgot to put an ice pack or anything else in. So it was just getting hot in the ice box. So now it's hot as hell in the ice box, even hotter than it is in the car. I mean, this dude is stopping at rest stops to get stuff to eat. Like this thing is getting, I mean, it's basically microwaving it in the backseat of his car in the ice box. So then he gets to the, to the club. He has a, like it, what has to be, I mean, cause the way clubs work is like, you know, your host does like. 10 12 up top you know a lot of clubs like zanies will have their feature do like 20 to 25 all the way to 35 sometimes and their headliner do like 45 to an hour he must have only had like a 15 minute set so maybe he was doing like a small feature set and it's not going well because it's just not stand up like it's it's just not and so in his head he's like okay i know it's gonna win him back he gets time for his closer right he takes the lunchbox out to the music opens it and the first first row he opens it and the first row is like oh like you can hear this clamoring of like of like oh oh my god oh no what what's happening then he lifts the dead raccoon out of the ice box with a smile on his face and a lady in front goes oh my god like it's like is immediately terrified he lays it down on the stool and grabs a vacuum cleaner because his plan for the bit is to suck the dead animal with a vacuum cleaner like he's giving it you know like some sort of cpr or something and then just pretend it's alive because it's not gonna get like he didn't think this it's not even gonna get up you know 
And so he turns on the vacuum cleaner and everyone is just in shock. There's no, nothing is making noise but the music from his stereo. Like everyone's just staring, right? He puts the vacuum cleaner on the chest of the raccoon. And the thing about vacuum cleaners is that everyone's thinking about how they suck, but this is an old style vacuum cleaner from like, you know, probably like the early 90s. So it's got that big trunk behind it that you're dragging around like an elephant. And the back of it is the, the front sucking the air. The back just starts shooting out air from the back. And so immediately the first two rows get hit in the face with dead raccoon hair. It goes right through the entire vacuum and it's fly to people's eyes and people start screaming. One guy throws up immediately. He throws it and he's like, Bleh! and so now everyone is, everyone is throwing up and have started scattering like a bomb went off. And there's actually a physical fight for the bathroom. Like this dude makes it to the bathroom and gets pushed out of the way by the neck by another guy trying to make, cause it was one of those bathrooms where the men and women's was only like, it was like a regular bathroom like you would have in your apartment. It wasn't stalls or anything. And so people are beating the crap out of each other trying to get into these bathrooms. And then there's one guy from the back that's like, I'm going to kick your ass. I'm going to kick your ass. Like just screaming at, like pointing and screaming. He's not making a run for it or anything. It's just them with their eyes meeting. He's like, I'm going to kick your ass. It's the worst ever. And so then he uh, he gets pushed out by like the bouncer or whatever. Apparently the the booker had been lighting him since he pulled the the dead animal out. But then but in his head he was like, nah, nah, he just doesn't know this is what's gonna win him back. So he just ignored the light the entire time. And this all happened in a matter of like a couple minutes. So it's not like he did ten more minutes after that. But he's lighting him, which would even still mean he had a minute. And so he's like, okay, I got the light, but I'm gonna win him back. And so the hair is like flying throughout the first part of the club and people are throwing up and slipping on each other and it's just causing this like terrible riot inside the club. And so I don't know if it was the bouncer or the booker, but someone like physically like throws him out. Like they, they like push him out, slams the door behind him. And he was telling this story uh, and he was like, yeah, you know, normally I would have gotten my car. I would have called the whole thing a wash, you know, would have drove back to Chicago a little dejected, but I left my vacuum cleaner in there. <laughs> and so this crazy fool stands outside the club for the rest of the show. They managed to get almost all of the audience members to calm down. They cleaned up a little bit. Like they cleaned up his dead animal, threw away his lunchbox, moved his vacuum cleaner, all that stuff like that. And then let the headliner finish, which how do you headline a show like that? Do you just talk about how the devil went before you? Yeah. And so the headliner finishes the show. Apparently it goes, all right. I mean, there's no way to really tell how it could go great. And then they're leaving. And so as all of these audience members are piling out of the club, leaving, he tries to sneak in and, uh, and get his vacuum cleaner. He grabs it. And on the way out, when he's putting it in his trunk, it's that same guy. It's like, Hey, yo, I'm going to kick your ass. And he makes this mad dash towards him as he's getting in his car and he manages to like drive up. But the dude's like beating on his window. Like it was amazing. And it's one of those things that's like, how do you, how do you still do comedy after doing that to people? Because, because it, it, like, even when he told the story, it was clear that even in his head, this is how you know he's crazy. Because even in his head, it wasn't going to be a problem. None of it made sense at how it could be a bad idea until hair started hitting people's faces. <laughs> he's like, oh, oh, 
Oh yeah, that's oh man. And even now, he probably just thinks like, man, I should have got a naked dead raccoon. Like that's probably <laughs> his thought process. That it was so insane, man. Like, yeah, yeah. There's something to be said for it, but also that it's crazy. Like that's so. That's so left field to even have as an idea. I mean, I, I've seen some of his old videos. Apparently, the the video of that used to be on YouTube until somebody took it down. Yeah, right. No, man. Uh, it used to be on YouTube, and then it got taken down. And then uh, I don't know. There may be a video of like a piece of it or something. But yeah, the whole thing used to be on there, and I just. It was one of those the one of those things where the club just I guess taped everybody from the back or something. But then he like somehow got a copy, I guess. I wouldn't imagine you would ever want that up on the internet. You know? Right. Just trying to go back like that like that behavior is like, oh yeah, you would also kill somebody. Like the fact the fact that you didn't have the forethought to not do any one of those steps is like you would kill a person. That, right see that uh that's what horrifies me too about some sometimes about the aspects of, of doing any form of entertainment is that there are some people who think they have to do things they totally don't have to do like they're like that like like he picked up a dead raccoon and in his head he's like i'm doing this for comedy <laughs> it's like nah dude you're doing this because you're crazy you know, right it's like it's like when people are like i don't care man i'm moving to la i'll live in my car it's like why is living in your car your first option why can't you just get an apartment that is that is insane like dude have the day job until you need to quit like why i don't understand how people can like can like rationalize with themselves like yeah i'll live like a beggar for my art it's like that's not for art art you know Yeah. You can find inspiration. It's just you know, it's a way to find motivation or inspiration maybe. But to yeah, to a degree, I think I think whenever you are in a situation where you're pushed to that, that's when the creativity comes out because that's why you find people who live in their cars and also suck. It's like you opted to live in your car. What are you doing? You know, like whereas someone who is like had an apartment, had a great job, was doing stuff at night, uh, lost their job, got an eviction notice, didn't have savings. You know what I mean? And then then they really have to make something happen. That's your eight mile moment. But like just opting to live in a car for the sake of art. And it's like art didn't ask for any of that. Not at all. Yeah. Art just wanted you to be funny. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh my god. Why? You know, there's like these artist swaps that you have in like New York and these, you know, kind of like progressive cities where, you know, it's like a huge living space that, you know, your rent is to contribute to the space. Oh, for sure. You play songs for a few hours, you know, the ambience of the space, that's how you contribute. Um, to the commune, it's like an artist commune or mm-hmm. compound, um, and they have those spaces, which is cool, you know, like, you don't have to pay, you know, when you're an artist and you're not getting paid, you don't have a day job, you're really trying to commit to your art, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, just moving across the country and just opting to sleep in your car with no exact plan, yeah. because like, you 
probably haven't planned much else after that anyway. Like, I'm going to go to L.A. and make it big. I'm going to look at my car. It's like, so when you get to L.A., what are you going to do? Yeah. Mics? Do you, are you going to try to seek representation? Uh, do you know anybody out there that can get you up on showcases? Or, like, what are you doing? Oh, yeah, man. Going, you know, living on a prayer. And so... <laughs> there's a, there's actually okay. I didn't know this show was still running, but apparently it is because a friend of mine is uh, maybe doing it tonight. It's one of those things where everyone everyone's a little hungry for, especially when they're not getting those spots, but they need to get to the point where they're good enough to do them. You take you take these spots in some of these terrible places that aren't built for comedy at all, uh, but they're willing to give you ten minutes, so you do it. You know, because you're like, because you're like, okay, look, the, especially when you're new. Like, I remember I did this, I did this spot from the point where I was four months in to about eight months in, and I haven't done it since. So it's like, every, I think everything is conducive with a time and a place and a skill level that, you know, you'll just go ahead and do it. And I remember doing this show. This is actually among comics, the worst show in Chicago. Um, it's a place <laughs> it's a place next to a strip club where you can't drink <laughs> yeah and so the entire the entire audience is people who are only trying to be in that bar for 5 minutes because they leave the strip club take a quick shot and then leave that's your audience that's who you're playing to and then there's no real booking process you just kind of either get someone knows your name so they hit you up because they're always that's how you know you're doing a terrible show too when they're begging for spots when they're like hey it's two hours before the show and we need three more comics and it's like uh oh that's be weary of that you know because that's if they're if it is a show um it's gonna be terrible and if it's not a show they're definitely gonna kill you you know so so i was over there and I remember they were always just so bad. I had a really great night one there one time because it was one of the first nights. I was still like a year in, so I wasn't I wasn't great. I was fine, you know? Like I was getting people to laugh, but I was not on anything that was like profound or anything. I'm not making them think about ideas or anything. And I just, I remember that was like one of the first nights that I like really let go and was like, was like, I can say anything that I want. Like, and it took, it, it, I hate that it even took me that long. I mean, I know a year is nothing in a career of comedy, but like, I hate that it even took me that long to really realize the fact that I could talk about whatever I wanted as long as I can make it funny. And I was getting these laughs based off of like my true ideas, not just like, have you ever noticed? Like, I think that those jokes are great because they are about the way people think. And, and it's one of the things that you, probably see a lot is that when you're watching someone go up you're watching the way that they think you know so it's like that's why sometimes people hate comics so much and love comics so much because it's like it's an unspoken thing of like this is the way that i think so if you don't like my jokes then you probably won't like me as a person you know and and so i remember in spite of how terrible the show was, I felt good about myself, but I also started feeling good enough about myself that I was like, I don't need to beat myself up on Thursdays anymore. And so, because I did it a lot too. I did it at least once a month because they were giving me 10 minutes when nobody else was. And, oh yeah, man. So the worst, the worst story that I have from there isn't even mine. Um, 
you know Anthony Bonazzo, right? Okay, Anthony Bonazzo was just chilling there, and this was his last time doing it because he doesn't do it anymore. And he he was one of those people too that was just like, look, it's ten minutes, and uh, you know, it's better it's better than a mic because a mic is four or five, you know. So I'll just run over there, do my time, do some more mics, and he was there and. <laughs> He was telling me the story. This is so amazing. It's just a comedy of errors. So he's sitting there writing, you know, writing out his jokes uh, before the show, just trying to get a set list together. And there's this homeless guy at the other other end of the bar. And I don't know what was said before or what led to this, but basically the bartender is like, that's it. You're done. You're cut off. You're done. And then he looks at her. He's like, oh, you think that's going to stop me? You think that's going to stop me? And then he goes into this huge duffel bag that's taking up two bar stools next to him, pulls out Milwaukee, shakes it up, and sprays it on the bartender and the bar back. The, like, like the whole beer, too. Like It's like it, 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 was, it was talent to watch because it's not like he just opened it and threw it on. It was like spray, spray, spray. Right? And then this dude, they must have called the cops on him like 10 or 20 minutes beforehand because this dude runs out, right? Now, there are a lot of comics at this show, and like I said, they're just comics that aren't really getting booked at other places. And one of these comics, uh, I'm not going to say her name because it wouldn't be fair, but she is perpetually pregnant. She is pregnant. I don't know if you've ever met her because she's more of like in the suburbs and stuff. She's not really out in the city, but she is perpetual. I have been doing stand-up for almost three years. I met her when I was about six months in, and she has had the same belly since I met her. So that baby is either 26 months or it's a new baby every time because I don't see her a lot, you know? And her husband comes with her to like every show, to like every single show. And it's too supportive. It's like, it's, it's insane. It's more like he's not there really to support her. Right? It's like, I'm just hanging out, you know? And so this dude is smaller than me, okay? Like this dude is like, like I'm a tiny man. This dude is probably weighs 20 pounds less than me and is a head shorter than me so he sees this happening and as the dude that sprayed the milwaukee the homeless dude's trying to run out he gets in front of the door crosses his arms and goes can't let you leave pal <laughs> like total saloon cowboy type move right and the homeless guy looks him up and down and goes wow you're brave <laughs> And this is what Anthony was like, okay, looks like I'm getting a fight now because he's going to stab him and then I'm going to have to wrestle a knife out of his hand, probably some prison shank that he brought with him. And so now the dude's like standing over, towering over him and it's like, wow, you're brave. Grabs his collar and his belt buckle and throws him across the bar onto the bar, okay? So then he lands with his back on the bar. He's like, oh, 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 oh. Like he's like, fl he's flopping like a fish because he can't believe he's not standing up anymore. <laughs> that dude runs out and no, dude, dude, a minute or two minutes later is when the cops run in. That's why I say they had to have called them about that dude way earlier because the cops showed up immediately after he left, like, a, like 60 seconds maybe. And so the cops run in shining the lights in people's faces because they don't know he's gone so they're grabbing people shining the light in people's faces and right then right then the host is like we're gonna start the show we're gonna start the show we're gonna start the show we're gonna start and just goes around to everybody tell her to start the show so then she starts screaming her jokes over the police getting the statement of the bartender and the bar back and it was terrible it was like it was like a full room of no self-awareness at all Oh. I've been to a show before where the cops were there, where the cops came in, and they were actually, it was a fight. There was a fight that happened 
I think it may be the same place we're talking about. Awesome. There was a fight that happened, but it was like way in the back. <laughs> came in and like, like talking to some people, and then whoever the host was started like complaining to the cops about them being there. It was like, what are you doing? Like you're ruining the show. Like, the show. Ah, like, no. Just almost got beaten to death. That's crazy. I just like I, I turned around at the end. It was like all over. I saw the guy's face. I was like, oh my god, he looks like he almost got beaten to death. Yeah. And so he walks outside, and you know the people were there. And we're still there. So the cops were taking them out of the club. Oh. And she was like, you're taking away our customers. You're taking away the like, No. And it was, it was perhaps the funniest thing. And I was David, like, because people started booing the cops. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> That's so <laughs> insane. But the cops didn't even pay any attention to, like, what they were saying. Like, they were about that action. They were really <laughs> um, They got the guys out. It was kind of quick and just like, all right, yeah, so that happened. But then, like, had she not paid attention to it, she probably would have had a good set and would have been fun. But, like, mm-hmm. it's kind of derailed her from, like, what she was trying to do anyway. So she went into, like, her, her thing. It didn't work. <laughs> and just, like, the whole show was terrible. Oh, that. man. So, oh my gosh that's amazing dude that is so great um so i will ask you this i i know it may touch on the question that i that i asked before but whenever you see a comic going up a lot and everything like that and and maybe maybe they're all over maybe they're in high demand and like the independent scene and everything do you take into consideration with the bombs whether it was you know uh, the jokes themselves or the crowd that they were playing to or because i i know one thing i've noticed a lot and this is I think it's directly related to comedy a little bit just because it's that it's that artist insecurity. But a lot of times, when, even if you're just watching a show like American Idol, they'll like every they They made a clip of it one time of everyone that had said, like, hey, just please forgive me. I have a cold before they sang just to have that like cushion of like, you know, don't 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 judge me too harshly you know uh whereas those judges are sometimes singers themselves or talent managers they know when somebody has a cold they can hear it you know uh and i i guess i'm wondering from a comics perspective for you i mean i know you can only truly speak for yourself but in in audition situations like auditioning for showcases or auditioning to become a club regular or just being watched at a club in general by other people do you find that you have to go with audience reaction at the particular point or do you sometimes know when someone's just having an off night like i know we we talked about how you never really cast people away but but in those situations where someone has like just a truly you know run-of-the-mill nothing too spectacular but a bad set do you think that you judge them more based on the crowd or that you see some sort of like Oh, okay, this is just a bunch of things that work but don't work right now, or this is your mood, or your, you know, because I, you, like I said, you watch more comedy than I do. Like, I, I even find myself sometimes as a comic just kind of judging straight up, like off of the thing. I'm like, oh man, especially if I don't know the other comic, I'm like, oh, wow, it looks like they're bombing. They might be terrible. Uh, it's a, I think it's just another one of those. I mean, to take a lot into consideration. 
sometimes I'm laughing at the joke, but the crowd isn't. Mm-hmm. I also know the joke sometimes, so it's just like I'm familiar with it. Mm-hmm. I like the way it's hitting at that particular point in time. There's been times where, you know, sometimes a crowd is distracted <clears throat> for some for some apparent reason, and there's a joke that just like, that should have killed, you know, and I'm like, oh man, if they would have heard it, you know, or been paying attention, or like you may have said something, or you know, you weren't very, uh, you weren't enunciating properly, or there's something that happened that led up to that punchline or tag mm-hmm. that they missed, and so they didn't get to see the whole work, you know, and really truly appreciate the joke. Um, but there are some times where it is the crowd. You know, they say don't blame the crowd. Sometimes it is the crowd. Sometimes it's the comments. Sometimes it's both. It's all circumstantial. Mm-hmm. It all depends on the night, the time, who's there, how you're feeling, if you got a cold, or, you know, if you you got something going on. You can tell sometimes when some people have something on their mind when they're on stage. You know, they're just not into it at that point in time. Mm-hmm. One thing that I do find to be kind of like a little hacky is when oh yeah yeah because anyone that matters can tell it's new yeah you don't you don't get any residual claps yeah right <laughs> but no yeah I will also say another thing that I always find fascinating is sometimes how a bomb is funny. Like, if someone literally tells a joke that did not go over, mm-hmm. him, like, acknowledging how terrible or how bad that joke went over actually gets more laughs than, like... Than the joke does, yeah. The joke itself, or really, like, any joke that he said. I've seen so many comments go on stage and have they been bombed. Yeah, because I think one of the things people forget about stand-up, because it's a frustrating thing for us, but I'm sure it's even more frustrating thing for you, where it's like people watch, like, there's not a lot of respect for it, so people watch it, it's like, oh, I can get up and be funny, or my cousin's funny, and, you know, stuff like that, whereas the same thing with you, it's like, oh, you just gotta put me up, and it's like, no, I'm trying to curate a whole show, you know, and and so I think people forget that there is a public speaking aspect to stand-up that's important, that whenever you even if you're not trying to be funny, if you're just a keynote speaker uh, for a convention of doctors, while you're speaking, you control the room. Everyone with their attention is trusting you to be in control. And so whenever you lose control, that's how you lead to like those really bad bombs that are like memorable where it's like, oh my God, this is so uncomfortable. Because you, know, you as the performer are uncomfortable, but I guarantee you the audience is twice as uncomfortable as you. Like they may not even be mad. Like some, I mean, you go to some clubs that they get mad when you're bombing. Like I pay twenty dollars to get in here. You better get it right, you know. But like, yeah, I only had to do it one time. Mm-hmm. It was a comic on stage, and she was a customer didn't like the comic. Yeah. She, stood up, she was like, "You stole my money." Ah. <laughs> <laughs> like six comments that were on that yeah no of course
people who use comics as credit is like, yeah, I know this comic and this comic and this comic. Yeah. That's that's a tough thing, man. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God! I was in the room when you did that. Then. Yeah. Yeah, I heard you. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's the best. Oh my god. Yeah. Right. That's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Especially like that's a, he would be better off just hitting you up and being like, "Hey, I really like to audition at Laugh Factory. I also have one hundred eighty thousand Twitter followers. Like that that would be so much more beneficial than like, hey, look, like like one time I crushed at this birthday party when no one was expecting me to start talking, and like I had these I had these dudes rolling, and it's like it's it's a frustrating thing because it's it's one of those things that truly everybody thinks that they can do that. You know, I, I I encourage people to do whatever they want to do, which means sometimes I encourage people to keep going and sometimes I encourage people to quit. And it's not even necessarily based on talent. I'm never like, I'll never be like, oh man, you bombed, you should quit. But I'll be like, dude, you are the most miserable person that I know. I don't care what you're doing this year. I don't care if you're doing 120 college dates this year. You're the most miserable person that I know making more money than anybody else doing this. You should probably quit before you kill yourself, you know? And it's like, it's it's a, it's an amazing thing though because it like I said it's that it's that you have to you have to know what you're doing like you have to know how to control a room sometimes it's a room full of people who don't want to listen to you you know like I've I've had to fight before like truly fight at other places I mean like I'm lucky that it's never happened here it's like people that come here know why they're coming here it's not like they didn't mistake it for a whole nother theater you know they didn't think they were gonna see a play yeah right. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But yeah, sometimes there's just fights on stage and it's like and that's why I always there's something and maybe it's just I'm just petty, but there's there is something kind of just beautiful about someone who th thinks that stand up is the easiest thing in the world. They think they figured it out after two weeks of not doing it, of two weeks of watching other people's specials. And then they get up there and they just bomb and then they never do it again. And it's like, you know, I, n I never wish on anybody to bomb or anything like that. It's just one of those things. It's like, yeah, that's, that's also part of it. Like I've had, I've had a couple of friends who like really thought that they were killers. And then, and then also they had the misfortune of their first set ever going well. 
And so then that just builds up like this false sense of security to where they really think they can get up there and just like Bill Hicks it. And then they bomb after the second or third time they do stand and they just are crushed and they can't do it anymore. And it's like, yeah, but everybody's a comic, right? Like, I feel like there's some comics that I've talked to that are up and coming, you say. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I've never bombed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like bombing is so subjective. I I know comics personally who have bombed and like it would be a textbook definition of a bomb. Mm-hmm. And I've got off and thought they killed. Oh yeah. Like man, like they were feeling me out there and I'm like, no. Yeah. They were not feeling me. Yeah, man. that and silence wasn't shocking all. Yeah. Now we're in the front row. Like, oh. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, it's subjective, but it's that confidence level that you should have, um, but you should also have uh, some sense of reality. You know, yeah. You should know what's working what's not. Some comics are against pandering, some are for it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a certain level that you have to do regardless of where you are. Like, if you do a, a nursing home, you're not going to do the same stuff you do at a college. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what leads to success is a spectrum of awareness. Like I, cause I've been told, and this is, I'm, I'm truly not, cause this has only happened like twice, uh, maybe three times is that I'm not trying to pump myself up or anything like that, but I've had that feeling where I got off stage and felt terrible. I felt absolutely horrible about my set, about myself, about the way it went. And like, people were like, dude, you did really well. Like, how, like, you know what I mean? And because I, I remember I headlined this bar show one time that, you know, given me 20 minutes and it was 20 minutes I wasn't prepared to do because I thought I thought somebody else was the headliner. So I thought I was doing like 10, maybe eight. And then they had me up for 20. And I found that out before, like right before I had to go up. So about 15 minutes in, I really started. I knew what I wanted to close with. So that that's like this three minute gap of like just either crowd work or riffing or, you know, something like that. And. I just didn't feel like it went well, but then so many people were so receptive of it and were so, but it still did nothing to deter me from feeling like I had bombed. And so there, there are some things to be said for people who are insanely hard on themselves. I know a couple of comics that are like that, that like, unless they get like half of a standing ovation from the crowd, then they don't feel like they did well. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. That's oh. Okay, but yeah, and I think that's just because you have an expectation. Mm-hmm. And you are going out and you're trying to, you know, live up to those expectations, you know, or to perform to those expectations. And if you don't feel like, you know, you can't do anything short of around, you know, a standing ovation because you work hard on those jokes. Yeah. You wouldn't be standing on that stage. If you weren't supremely confident that these jokes are funny, mm-hmm. you um, or you should understand my point of view, or you should look at it from my, you know, perspective. So, you know, it's, it's a lot of work that goes into it. So, you know, you should feel, you know, some type of way about your, about your, you know, your stand-up. Mm-hmm. And I think for a me as well. You know, I'm watching you guys. I'm rooting for you. You know, mm-hmm. on stage, 
comic that goes up that I really hope bombs. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been an open mic or two that like you've just been filming as only like, okay, well let me see where yeah, the yeah. first minute it's like, okay, yep, I knew it and then the rest is downhill and I'm like, see? Like yeah. it's not as easy as you think. Yeah. And that's like I think that's a big misconception is that you know, my mom will laugh at me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're also drunk. That's why you're doing it. Like you. Yeah. Yeah. Your club won't be open in a year. Like that's yeah. That's insane. Because I I've I know exactly who you're talking about, and I've I've had like not that incident with him, but I've had incidents like it where it's like, dude, you what are you doing? Like you don't. And you would think. I mean, there there are those situations where the same way that. You, you you see sometimes sometimes people are like quote unquote succeeding but it's like did this fall in your lap like how do you there's no way you built this from the ground up like you're 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 tearing it down as we speak and there's people here you know yeah. right that's that's uh that
we're unique here because we showcase local comics. My responsibility is hey, to keep like keep people in and to provide the top notch comedy in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And for me to want to try to like be a part of that, and you know, you know, because that's what happens when people have to either they are drunk or they feel like their participation is is, is influential. Yeah, yeah, it's like helping. Yeah, yeah. they feel like they're helping the show by contributing whatever there is that's saying. It's very rare that someone just contributes, you know, that, and that's the thing, you know, the comics are there because they're funnier than you. Yeah. And they're, they care about this more than you. Yeah. You're out enjoying yourself, sit back, relax, and laugh. But it's, it's funny, and then especially when it comes to somebody who knows, and, you know, this guy used to be a comic. Mm-hmm. Right here. Oh, really? No. He used to do. Yeah, and he knows then. When you find out somebody's a comic, it makes it that much worse. Yeah. When you find out they run a club, that's bad enough. When you find out they used to be a comic and they've been there and they've done that, they yeah. know that this is absolutely unacceptable. Oh, my gosh. So I was like, okay. And it's just kind of an evaluating. I was like, all right, well, let me make sure I have anything that I know I'll never do that. But mm-hmm. like that matters. Like, I remember most of the reason why I got upset was because he was actually – derailing my buddy's set like he was doing well and then he had to like react to it and he yeah to yeah sitting front and center and he was kind of like what like what mm-hmm. and he knew who he was so he's like well yeah so he can't even roast him yeah but yeah. getting on you because you know you come out here you know you wouldn't like harry potter right it's just it was just crazy to watch yeah, but that, I don't know, I think I will, I think I speak for especially the people that came up with me, like my class of like comics and stuff like that that started when I did, uh, and we're all still babies, there's no, like I'm by no means a veteran of anything, but there is this um, appreciation that doesn't always, not necessarily through rudeness, but like just from not acting on it that doesn't come across it's like we do appreciate how you come to just shows like just like you know like just a show you know you get a you get a spot from your buddy and then it like that's huge that you're not past yet and then a club um booker is there or someone who can at least even if you let's say you you weren't the booker but the fact that you go out and you know the book, you could talk to the booker if the booker was someone else and you could be like hey there's this kid you know because i know a lot of clubs that's what's making uh, a lot of clubs that follow that like old model suffer because they don't have showcase auditions and they don't go get people. They don't scout or anything. They're not out. They don't know who anybody is. And so even within their local scene, you know, they don't they don't know who's good. And so it's costing them money because now they got to get everybody from out of town and they get they build up a resentment and there's no love for their home club because these comics never work there you know so it's that's huge that you know and then and it's also huge the feedback it's like you know you're dealing with some of the most neurotic it's a you know we're like models that aren't sexy like that's that's like what comics act like it's just like just like ugly models sometimes you know where it's like very self-conscious or very um analytical of everything and it's what is supposed to make us funny but it's also what can like tear us down sometimes and so the fact that there's someone that's paying attention and taking notes and 
was willing to give that feedback because I, I think another thing I've always appreciated about you and Brian is that you've never given uh, this like aggressive unsolicited feedback that's like because I remember I definitely feel like I was the one that started the the dialogue of like I really like when you watch me and when you give me notes and you guys were doing it anyway but you guys weren't really running up to me afterwards and be like that tag really doesn't work but good set like you know and and I think a lot of people don't know how to critique comedy and so when you run into people that do you feel like you're getting better it's almost like I get another set in just by talking to you guys because it's like okay I just did that I have that fresh in my memory but also I know i know that it didn't work i don't know why it didn't work and then maybe you have an idea why it does and alone that might take me another three days to figure out you know uh so i was initially very hesitant um to give feedback at all mm -hmm. like especially in the early stages when i was just doing like you know, social media guy i was super hesitant but i'm always writing comedy i'm always doing my own comedy and i'm watching you and i know most comics that's like verbatim mm -hmm. you know? yeah Most bits, you know, especially the ones that you do in the club. Yeah, yeah. 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 There's no intimidation factor to it or anything like that. Cause I've had, I've had notes before given in a way that was like, I really don't want to see you do this thing again. And it's like, wow. Okay. I mean, I got plenty of jokes I write every day. So it's like, it's not like it's going to cripple me, but still that's, that's crazy to like, you know, just like walk up to somebody and be like, Hey, the joke you did at minute three and minute five, I don't ever want to see again or something. And it's like, maybe, I mean, maybe if it was the most evil shit ever said and wasn't funny, then maybe I can see that. But to just not think something's funny. So you don't want to hear it again or stuff like that. Or, or to really try to mold someone against their will is, is, a. Uh, is something I'm glad I've never run into here. And I and I don't run into it a lot in Chicago at all. Like I don't know what other scenes are like, but I've I've been very fortunate. Every everyone here has been um really supportive and understanding and like really had that that gust cuz like you you know it is nothing necessarily for you to like just give a throwaway compliment of like hey really good set, but you have no idea what that could do for somebody, especially somebody that's like two months in you know when because because comics don't they don't care they're doing their own thing so it's like if you had a good set maybe they'll tell you good set or maybe they still don't care about you you know and it's like you know this isn't this isn't like improv this isn't like you know 
one big family. It's like, you know, it's sometimes perceived that way, especially when you're doing, if you're doing too well, it's not family. If you're doing too terrible, it's not family. But if you're in that, that middle spectrum of, you know, like magenta and stuff like that, then yeah, everybody loves you. Cause you just, you just got a thing, but you're not better than any of us yet. You know? <laughs> So it's like, yeah, you know, I, I always, uh, yeah, yeah, you're not, you're not a threat, but you're also not, you know, yeah, you're also pulling your own weight in the scene, though, you know. So it's like you're not making comics look bad by getting up. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I always want to say thank you for that. Like that's, that's huge. Like you, you know, like you do a lot, but the fact that you do that is like what takes care of us. Because I, you know, especially I've done shows for free. I've done, I've done so much time at shows for free before. I did a half hour to show one time for free, and it was like. I'm not saying I'll never do that again, but it was one of those things that was like, this is half of what I want to be paid a lot of money for one day. And I just did it for free. So the fact that the people that ran the show talked to me for like 20 minutes, just they loved my set. They liked me. They liked working with me. They wanted to book me again. I mean, that anything like that is so huge because this is such like a loner sort of game that you get into like sure you have your friends and they're great and but everyone everyone's alone everyone's alone up there and everyone's alone usually when they're writing unless they have writers or something like that but um yeah. you know i actually value the fact that you approach with you know hey do you have any notes or like what is your opinion on it Yeah. By word, by inflection, by volume, you know, by, you know, slang you may use or, you know, everything, you know, I'm kind of dissecting it. It's just like, I don't know, I've been thinking about it, like, you know, as I watch comedy more frequently, I always have, but, you know, I have a different ear for it. Yeah. Is that good or bad? Like, sometimes I'll sit through a whole set, I don't even laugh. Because I'm just, I'm paying that oh yeah yeah like really let go yeah yeah Yeah, no, I get you. Well, dude, thank you so much for doing the show. Um, I'm Josh Johnson here with Curtis Flagg, the director of operations and booker for Laugh Factory of Chicago. I don't know shit about running a club, but now I know a little bit more. So thank you, man. Thanks for coming on. All right.